Hey, I'm going to take us uh, really quickly into uh, Luke chapter 9. And uh, let me just give you this little bit of a disclaimer before we uh, start. It's good to have Pete and Fran with us today. Thank you guys for coming and sharing. And I, I, I sent out an email and I said, you know, in this 100 days of serving and 100 days of service, you know, consider one of our ministry partners, Sun Power Ministry, P Pete Einstein would be one of those. Metterd's House would be another, New Hope Ministries, Capillary Pregnancy Center, Bethesda Mission, I could keep going on, but uh, find someone and serve them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, the Lord will bless you for that. I, um, as, a, as a disclaimer, what I'm about to share with you today has not had anything to do with any of the events of, of this past week or recent weeks. The Lord had laid this service on my mind um, weeks ago, weeks and weeks ago. This whole month was uh, given to me by the Lord. And so um, any uh, resemblance to current events is purely coincidental. Conversations I've had with any of you, it would be purely coincidental. I just believe that. If we can plant this seed and you reap what you sow uh, and create change by that, then I just want to remind you that there's also another um, way of changing culture, and that would be by uh, moving against what is coming after at you. You know, in other words, not creating enemies, but the spirit that is coming at you uh, come in an opposite spirit. Uh, Jesus said, "When you have been cursed, we should be blessing." So um, I've been asked a couple of times, and uh, I, I get it and I understand it, you know, what do you think, Pastor, as, uh, you know, these events that are going on, have been going on, and especially uh, the events in Washington, D.C. This, this week, what do you think about that? And I learned throughout the week as that question would come up again and again to say, are you asking me as a person or me as a pastor? Let me just say, if you want to know what I think as a person, just see me afterwards, you know. And that's as much as your opinion, you know, we all uh, are entitled to our opinion. But as a pastor, let me just say that my job, part of my role is to remind you to think biblically and to respond um, in a Christ-centered way. And, and specifically, to go back to the teachings of Christ. How many of you understand that, that the world could really use people committed to keeping the teachings of Christ. I mean, it, it would change the climate in a heartbeat if we did. So we're just going to take one of those principles, and that is moving in an opposite spirit. There's been a cold wind that has blown through our country, like a contrary wind, a breeze that has been against our sails. And I, when I say that, I, I, my mind goes to an Acts uh, when Paul was um, uh, captured and uh, he was uh, uh, threatened by the uh, Judaizers and those who were uh, opposed to him and his ministry. And uh, he, was in, uh, uh, he was accused of inciting a riot. And so he eventually had to do the only thing that he could do, which was appeal to Rome or to appeal to Caesar. So they put him on a ship and they sent him off towards Rome. And um, he warned the captain that there was going to be a great big storm coming because an angel of the Lord showed him that the ship would be destroyed 
and God had given him the lives of everyone in that ship. Because he was on board, everyone would get to the other side safely, somehow, some way. But the storm started with a contrary wind. A wind was coming against them that they were, uh, that they were not able to make headway against. A contrary wind is very difficult to, um, to navigate. Uh, last week, I tried to encourage you to plant the seed of change. Everything begins with a seed. Everything, everything, whether we talk about human life, animal life, plant life, uh, if we think about um, the decision to become prosperous or the decision to endeavor on a new career or the decision to marry someone or the decision to have children, all these things all start with a seed. Everything starts with a seed. So, so I just encourage you to consider planting seeds that would bring change. I'll just... Uh, give you a real quick testimony. It may not mean much to you, but just so that you know, excuse me, that um, I'm practicing the same. The problem with me is this has become such a way of life is I don't really know when I'm being intentional or not. So I have to think to become intentional now. But I was walking here this morning. I wasn't thinking anything about anything. I was just uh, trying to remember how to get here from my house. And, <clears throat> and as I was uh, on my way, uh, I came to a neighbor's house, and in front of their car, I saw an Allen wrench. How many of you know what an Allen wrench is? Thank you, men. Um, oh, you knew. <clears throat> All right. Your gender is safe. Okay. I found an Allen wrench laying beside someone's car, and I thought to myself, self, that thing did not just get here overnight. Someone dropped it, you know. It's laying beside a car door. I'm thinking they got out of the car. It fell out of their 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 uh, car door somehow, and they didn't know it, or they couldn't find it. So I picked it up, and I said, what should I do with this, Lord? And I felt like what I was supposed to do is just return it to the house I thought it belonged to. And uh, we'll find out on the way home if that was the right house or not, you know. But could you imagine uh, walking outside your door and saying, oh, honey, the, uh, the mail is here, the paper is here, and, and so is the Allen wrench, you know. And someone's going to wake up praising God for miracles, signs and wonders, you know. Just like in the story when Jesus sent Peter to find a fish that had a coin in its mouth. Behind that story, I'm thinking, but someone lost the coin. You know what I'm saying? You know, God works in all kinds of ways, but generally he's not creating things out of thin air. He uses people. Amen. That was better than you gave me credit for. But. Also, on the way here, about halfway down, um, I found uh, in, this, in the alley, I found a, uh, a black plastic funnel. And it's small, not like motor oil size. It's like for a small uh, uh, opening. And I thought, you know, someone's going to run over it. So again, I picked it up and I purposely put it on the uh, doorstep of the person who I know. And, uh, and, and chat with from time to time. And I'm thinking, maybe it's his. Maybe he'll come out and say, oh, my gosh, there's that oil thing, uh, funnel, you know. Believe it or not, those, those kinds of little things mean so little. And it takes so little effort. It took me all of, that whole thing set me back, what, 15 seconds on my way here. And yet, it can make someone's day. It can make someone's week, especially if it was an item that was lost. How many of you have ever been walking somewhere and found an item? 
You know, the first thing I think of when I find money is, oh, thank you, Jesus. You love me so much, so much. I'm just walking my dog, and you've paid me to walk my dog. I love that. Let me tell you, it doesn't happen very often, but when it does, I have. I just think Jesus is the most wonderful person in that moment. And um, then there's those other times, Stephanie, when we are not sure exactly how wonderful he is. I would like to encourage you to keep doing that, but I'm going to ask you to up the ante and add to it moving in an opposite spirit. And by that, I mean intentionally when something is coming against you, you move against it or uh, you return something that would be Christ-like, not what is coming to you, okay? So I want to take you to Luke chapter 9 and uh, take you to verse number 46. Uh, Carrie's going to put the verses on the screen. So if you can't find your Bible or your hand in front of your face because it's so dark in here, then look at the screen. All right. Lighting system cometh. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Luke 9, 30, uh, 46. We're going to read Luke 9, 46 through 56. And while you're turning or trying to find your Bible or looking at the screen, let me just set the scene for you. Luke chapter 9 begins with Jesus sending out his 12 disciples. It's like on-the-job training. He gave them power. He gave them authority. And he said, guys, go do what I've been doing in my name. And he sent them to specific cities. Next week, I'll talk to you about the borders of Israel and how important it is to understand that in really understanding the impact of what Jesus did here. But let's just say that Jesus sent uh, his disciples out, not only to Israel, but to what would be considered Gentile places. He sent them ahead of him, and then he was would visit the places where he had sent his um, disciples. So they were supposed to create an introduction and prepare the soil by saying the kingdom of God is at hand. Well, the 12 of them returned with great joy because they were serving Jesus and Jesus is just Jesus. Jesus being Jesus, they had a great time. They come back with great joy. Right after that, Jesus had great joy because he fed 5,000 men, maybe 15,000 people, maybe 20,000 people. But 5,000 men with a couple of loaves and a couple of fishes, he just blessed it, it multiplied. And I want to just stop right here and say anything, any seed done, any act of service, any kind of moving in a spirit that is opposite, that is what, is what is coming to you, that in the hands of Jesus, he can take that little thing, an Allen wrench, put beside. Let me tell you, that could be an introduction to a conversation between me and that person at some point in time. Anything put in the hand of Jesus can create uh, an opportunity for Jesus to multiply it. A little boy's lunch fed a multitude. Hallelujah. Praise God. Rachel, wouldn't you like Jesus to come to your house and just bless all your bread and stuff and feed those kids? Peter and John were summoned to by Jesus to come up onto a mountain and to pray with him as he prayed. Literally, I wish I had the time to go into it. He was transfigured before them, which which means that his glory, his godness, his his uh, divinity, everything that was hidden inside the shell of a human being, being 
just shone through his flesh. And these uh, two men were able to experience. You know something I learned this week? That James and John and the rest of them were probably 18 or 19 years old when Jesus called them into ministry. Peter was the old man of 30-something. So Peter and John got to witness Jesus being transformed in front of them. And God the Father spoke from heaven. This is like, this is, this is the stuff you dream of. It's rare, but God did it for these men. Coming down the mountainside, what did he find? The rest of the disciples naturally were arguing with each other. As they were arguing, it was over the issue of casting out a demon. It's really important for you to put a pin in that because their, uh, their reputation, their closeness to Jesus, their intimacy with God, all of that was on the line because they had gone out under Jesus' power, his name and his authority and cast out demons, which is why they came back rejoicing. But now they've got one demon and they can't cast it out. And so his dad is saying, you know, I was really hoping you guys could do something. And in that moment, Jesus uh, uh, was summoned by this father. As you can imagine, this father wanted his child delivered. And he said, your, your disciples couldn't do it. And I, I just want to say, isn't it sad when the world looks to the church to do something that only God can do? And they can't do it. And you say, well, what's the mystery to that? Well, part of the mystery was that the Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out. And the rest of it, I, I just don't have time to go into right now. But I, out of that, Jesus immediately segues and he says something. And this sets up this passage so beautifully because if we hear this, we'll, we'll get Jesus a lot better. Um, in fact, uh, Josh, this might even go with the theme that God has given you recently on hearing God and hearing the voice of the Lord. But Jesus said this to the disciples. He said, let this sink down into your ears. And then he shares with them the truth. It's not the truth they wanted to hear. But it's important for us to understand that something on the inside often starts with something on the outside. So Jesus said, I'm going to tell you something, and you really need to let this go through those two ears that God gave you, through the gray matter and down into your heart. The message was the Son of Man is going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to be betrayed, and then he's going to be crucified. They didn't want to hear that message. So I'm not sure that they really heard it, even though they heard Jesus speak. I'm not sure that they heard it with their spirit. It didn't resonate. It wasn't what they wanted to hear. So it's interesting that out of verse number 44, let these words sink into your ears, for the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. And they did not understand this statement. It was concealed from them. I wonder how many of the things God is trying to say to us that are concealed from the spirit. Oh, God, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that receive and eyes that see. Give us faith. Someone reminded me on the way in here, and I think it's really good to remember. Um, 
when someone has little faith, it's not our position to remind them of their little faith. Only Jesus gets to do that. So if someone's faith isn't where it needs to be or where yours is, the wisest thing you can do is encourage them and say, oh God, strengthen them. Look at verse number 46. An argument started among them. Secondly, as to which of them might be the greatest. But Jesus, knowing what they were thinking in their hearts. Now, that's Jesus being God right there. He's hearing their hearts. He took a child. So this is in their, in their here and now, in their moment, in their, in their terra firma, on the earth, in the natural. He took a child. He picked up a child. He said to them, verse number 48, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. And this one who is least among all of you, this is the one who is great. Argument was, which of the disciples were the greatest? That sounds like teenage boys if I ever heard it. And Jesus sets the record straight. The one who's like a child. Verse number 49, John uh, answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. Think about they were not able to cast a demon out, and here's someone who was the demon. Jesus answered and said, I'm coming. John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he was not from the assemblies of God or because he was from the assemblies of God. He does not follow along with us. But Jesus said to him, do not hinder him for he who is not against you is for you. Let me explain one second. Person with the demon, that's a problem. And when a person casts the demon out, that's a solution. It doesn't matter. Verse number 51, when the days were approaching for his ascension, Julie, that's one of those times where I think that it's interesting that, that, that Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he sees the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension all as one piece. So he like, this is a faux pas, he slipped it in there, you know before this should actually uh, be reminded or recorded, when the days were approaching for, you would expect him to say his crucifixion, when the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. He was determined to go to Jerusalem. He was leaving Caesarea or wherever he was at at the moment, some dispute, but he was leaving there 
and he was going to Jerusalem. That's real important to remember for a moment. And he sent messengers on ahead of him, verse 52, and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements with them. Do you remember that uh, the Samaritan woman earlier in Jesus' ministry had been so impacted by the prophecy and the foreknowledge of God in the heart of Jesus and his ministry that the woman at the well returned to her village in Samaria and began preaching Jesus. And the next time Jesus came through, uh, a lot of villagers came out to meet him and they said their testimony was, now we believe in you because we've heard you, not just on her testimony, but now we've heard for ourselves. So there were believers in Samaria, but by this point in Jesus' ministry, when he sends out messengers ahead of him, they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him, for him but they did not receive him. Why? Because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. Very, very old wound. It goes all the way back to Solomon's sons, Jeroboam, Rehoboam, those two boys arguing over who's the greatest, tore the kingdom in two. Ten northern tribes, ten or two southern tribes, the division occurred uh, in Solomon's son's day, and it was over petty who's, who's the greatest, you know, kind of thing. So what happened was that wars were fought over that. Then what happened is that Samaria got sealed off, and eventually what she did is, like, because she didn't want her people going from Samaria to Jerusalem to worship, she established her own temple. So there was a temple. So they're Jews. They're intermarried because now Jews won't marry them, you know. So they're Jews. They're intermarried with other people, and it's sort of a half-breed of people, but they have their own temple. And you remember that even the woman at the well said, you know, our, our fathers say in Mount Gerizim is where we're supposed to worship. But you Jews think it's in Jerusalem. And Jesus said, I'm telling you the time's coming when it won't be in Gerizim or in Jerusalem. But the true worshipers of God, the ones that he's seeking, worship in the spirit and in the truth. It, 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 it goes broader, bigger, deeper, wider than your territorial things. This is an old wound, which is, I hope, why James and John said what they said. Verse number 54, when the disciples, James and John, saw this, that they had rejected Jesus, they said, Lord, this would be funny if it weren't sad. Do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? The King James, New King James Version, that manuscript that it was translated from, adds the phrase, like Elijah did. In other words, there's good reason to believe that they were using Elijah's uh, calling fire down on someone as an excuse to burn up the Samaritan city. Now, verse 55, he, Jesus, turned and rebuked them. The rebukes of the Lord are far better than the accolades of the world. You do not know what kind of spirit you are of. What is he saying? 
he's saying, that spirit, the one that is on you, isn't my spirit. That's not my spirit. At the shallow end of the pool, it would be a human spirit. At the deep end, it's a demonic spirit. As a pastor, I believe that our country is under two spirits for certain, if not more. One of them would be a spirit of fear. And you can tell a spirit of fear because it's irrational. It's not rational. It goes beyond rational. It's irrational. Now, the other spirit is, is harder to define. In the King James Version, the, the, the writers, uh, translators use the phrase, a party spirit, which to Americans sounds like, whoo-hoo, <laughs> you know, break out the bottles, uh, you know. But it, it's like we are a two-party system. That's an old English word. That's the idea of that. It's a divisive spirit. It's a spirit that divides. It's a spirit that seeks to separate husbands from their wives. It tries to seek to separate wives from their children and on and on. I, I know this. So as a pastor... One of the things that I want you to think about right now is um, what spirit is active in our culture today. And I, I'm, I've just identified two of them. I think there's more. I don't want to go into that right now. But, but there are two spirits that are very prevalent, has been for a while. And one is a party spirit that seeks to divide, and the other is a spirit of fear. So when those either one of those spirits come at you, you cannot defeat that spirit by returning it. If you return the same spirit, you cannot defeat it. This is brilliant on the side of Jesus. He said, hey, guys, I got a great, great uh, suggestion for you. When someone hits you in the face, turn the other side of your face. If I would have been there, I think I would have raised my hand and said, Jesus, I'm not sure that's like a really good idea. I mean, it sounds good on paper, but, you know, you could get both sides of your face beat up. And what was Jesus saying? If you absorb the blow and don't send it back, you've changed the atmosphere. Is it hard? Is it difficult? Not if you love Jesus. If you don't love Jesus, you don't stand a chance. Because you, you won't do it for commandment. You won't do it for creed. You won't do it for doctrine. You won't do it for theology. We will not do it for anything under the sun but love for Jesus. Without love for Jesus, following him is literally impossible don't even offer it to the world. But if you love Jesus, then you love his word. He said, if you love me and you love my words, my words dwell in you, my words live in you, the Father and I will come and we'll make our home in you. What he didn't explain is it would be through the Holy Spirit. So if if we have the Spirit of God within us and we love God, we can do these things. If we love God, we can do the hard things. 
please stand up with me right now. And I want you to confess with me, we can do the hard things because we have the love of God dwelling in us. I, I want you to make a declaration. I can do the hard things because the love of God dwells in me. Let's say it out loud. I can do the hard things because the love of God dwells in me. Because I love Jesus, I can do the hard things. Amen? Sit down. Thank you, guys. He turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what kind of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man didn't come. To destroy men's lives, their hopes, their dreams. Can I just put a comma in there for a moment? Just pause. Can you turn with me to, uh, I'm going to find it for you. It's in Matthew. It came up. Carrie, could you find this one for me? Uh, Matthew 12, 18 through 21. Matthew 12, 18 through 21. Just in case you can't read it, I want to read this out loud here, Matthew 12, 18 through 21. Now, I'm going to read verse 17 just so that you know the context. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, and now the rest is a quotation from the prophet Isaiah. Behold, verse 18, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Would you agree with me? That's probably Jesus. Yeah, that's probably Jesus, right? He will not quarrel, nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. Let me read that again because I'm not sure, but I think I read this online somewhere. No, no, no. I mean, something like this. He will not quarrel, nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. And look at verse 20. And a battered reed he will not break off. This is like when you're walking through the wheat field and you step on some things or you break some heads off as you're going through. A battered reed he will not break off. Saying that he has what? A gentle spirit, perhaps? A battered reed he will not break off, and a smoldering wick. You know, someone tried to get their campfire started, they couldn't, you know, and there's just a little bit of glowing ash. A smoldering wick he will not put out until he leaves justice to vindicate. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. Here's the thing two things about that. One is. This was bigger than the Jews. It was going to go to the world. Number two is that Jesus, you have to trust him because there will be a day of judgment. There will be a day of justice. If you absorb the blow, I guarantee you, you're not a martyr for it yet. You know, that those days could be coming. But I'm telling you this, if you absorb the blow in the name of Jesus, you're, you're not really suffering. Well, let's just put it this way. Someone's not really getting away with something if you absorb the blow. Jesus is returning. That should make you happy. It should make you happy not because we're we're like, what concerns me about the culture that we're living in right now, can I just put a pause within myself? I'll find my way back. 
it really, really concerns me that there are some people who are ready to circle the wagons and just hold on till Jesus comes. Jesus has given us life. While you have life, while you have breath, enjoy it. Live it to its fullest. I'm going to tell you as a guy who's getting towards the end of the thing, live your life. Enjoy it. Don't wait till your favorite party comes into power or your favorite uh, person comes up with a solution. Don't wait for the world to be perfect. I mean, we're working to change it, yes, but in the journey, enjoy it. What if, what if the goal for, for God putting you on the earth was actually so that you get to enjoy life? What if it's not all, what if the assignment is as simple some days as enjoying the life that he gave you? Okay, so here's the deal. You, you know, the news is getting hard to ex ignore, and I don't recommend that you ignore it, uh, although I found a successful way of doing it. But, you know, <clears throat> you don't have to ignore it. It's getting harder to ignore. I get it. But it's you, you don't have to make decisions on life about how you're going to raise your children, about how you're going to live your life based on the news. You can just base it on God is good and Jesus is on the throne and he's given you life and breath. Why don't you live it? <laughs> okay, let's go back to uh, Luke uh, chapter 9. He turned and rebuked them and he said, "Do not, You do not know the kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. He's all about saving, not destroying. There is a... So, uh, John, I will actually up the ante a little bit and say, you know, as a pastor, sometimes as long as we stick to the scriptures, we can prophesy. Every once in a while, you can take off your pastoral hat and put on a prophetic hat. Let me just tell you that there is a day that is coming when all power will be consolidated into a man of lawlessness. Now, that is a reason for alarm. When you see that kind of thing happening, that is something to be alarmed about. That is something to look up because your redemption is probably going to draw nigh. But I'm just going to tell you that in the current situation that we have, there's enough of the grace and the love of God to be able to live our lives and enjoy them. Think about that. The Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. I love the fact that Jesus... When he's rebuking them, he says, you don't know the kind of spirit you're of. So I'm going to take the uh, triptych here. It's uh, three, three stories in one. There's the who's the greatest. Then there's, uh, you know, what do we do with the guy who's casting out demons not in our name uh, uh, with us. And then there's this one about rejection. So I'm just say, under who's the greatest, let's just give you something that we can all take so the challenge with reading Jesus backwards 2,000 years into his culture, first of all, I'm going to just tell you, it's not as hard as you think because his culture was like ours, only worse. His was like ours, only worse. You, there was no Bill of Rights. There was no Constitution. I want to tell you something as an American. I love our Constitution, our Bill of Rights. I love this system. I love I love it. I love the, I mean, I, two-party. Maybe we could go to three. I don't know. But um, I, I love 
our democracy. I love it. I'm not giving up on it. I, I don't believe that we should. I think that there are men and women who fought and died for it. So don't throw it out. Don't give up on it. It's, it's great to be an American. It's a wonderful opportunity. And most of my friends that I've met around the world would still say, I'll trade places with you any day. So it's still a great place to work. Okay. That being said, I want to just take you through three things and say, okay, now how can we go backwards into Jesus' culture and then find something to, to hang our hat on so that we know how to, how to think biblically, how to follow Jesus in this current uh, uh, culture that we're in? Okay, so number one, who's greatest? Um, if you take the teaching of Jesus there, I can reduce it to a statement that would say this. When we go in the spirit of a child, we're going in the spirit of Christ. When we go in the spirit of a child, we're going in the spirit of Christ. What does that mean? This goes back to the smoldering wick and the broken reed thing, that, that Jesus was clearly um, moving in a childlike, not childish, a childlike spirit. And in that childlike spirit, he was able to confront everything as it came to him. I don't have the time to go into it, literally don't have the time to go into it. But on one occasion, they came to Jesus and they said, did you hear the bad news? <laughs> it's funny. Hey, God, did you hear what happened? You know, when you stop and think about it, it's a little bit funny. But anyways, and they tell him bad news. And Jesus upped the ante and told them some other bad news that they hadn't mentioned. <clears throat> and then he does the most loving thing he knows how to. He says, unless you guys repent, you'll likewise perish. Jesus did not take a Dale Carnegie course. I mean, this guy would fail in influencing people, and yet he did influence the world. Hmm. Who is the greatest? If you go in the spirit of a child, you'll be going in the spirit of Christ. Second, who is with us? We don't have to be in the same camp if we're going under the same name. That's actually very profound because it's kingdom. It's bigger. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than church. We don't have to be in the same camp if we go under the same name. And, of course, I'm assuming that's Jesus. You know, we saw someone casting out demons, and he wasn't with us. It doesn't matter. He doesn't have to be in the same camp. If he's going in the same name, guess what? He's not against me. He's moving in the direction I'm going. Number three, and this is the point <clears throat> for this day. What if they reject us? When we are rejected for Christ, we should never return the same spirit. We need to go in the opposite spirit. Which is why Jesus said, when you are cursed, you should bless when they come and compel you to go a mile, you should show them how free you are. Go two miles. That's a cultural idiom. It, it, the, the Roman soldiers, and next week I'll share, I'm going to share with you just the Gentile dust, the, the thing about being close to the nations that were not Jewish, how deep that divide was. I'm, I'm going to go into that, but can you imagine if we were, let's say that we lost World War II and the Nazis occupied the U.S. And today they had military compounds in every city, in every major city. One of those soldiers walks up to you and says, carry my backpack. Um, I, I'm, I'm headed over to uh, Carlisle. 
and what you were required to do by order of Caesar is that you had to comply. If you, they would kill you on the spot if you didn't. So imagine he comes with his all of his instruments of warfare, everything, the provision, everything that he needs to do his job in oppressing you is in his backpack. And he comes to you and he says, carry my backpack. And Jesus said, I, you know, that spirit that has just come against you, I want you to show that you are free from it. So here's what you do. You go kill him. You're only obligated to go one. Show him you're free. But take, you know, I, I know that... Um, you're not really used to this, but I just uh, felt that the Lord wanted me to bless you today. So um, I could go further if you want. Let me show you how that works. I learned, and this is the assignment for this week. I learned two questions or two statements. I always share it with those whom we are counseling for marriage in the chapter on communication. One time I was being sued and I heard a lawyer who was defending me in the midst of this guy's crazy, crazy accusation that the judge and everybody in that courtroom knew was crazy and not true. The attorney who was representing me said two things we're going back to 1981. Said something that I have not forgotten and I shared with him at Felicity. Two things that we can do to actually to change the culture to move in a spirit that is toxic. One that's coming at you. When the lawyer was listening to the gentleman making his case against me, it was a car accident. And um, as the gentleman was making this, he started to relate how that all these things have gone wrong in his life ever since that accident. And it just he's just piling up there. The attorney pulls um, myself and my employer aside and says, now, what he's trying to do is get us to settle out of court for a ridiculous amount of money. And... Um, He's not entitled to any of that, but uh, if you just let me navigate, I'll show you that we can uh, reduce the damage. So, um, and then he turns around and says, the guy's not due a penny. He's not, he shouldn't get a penny, but anyway, it's court documents, this is court documents. So the guy is talking and he's making his point. He's making accusations against me and it was really, really, you know, it's just painful sit there and hear a whole bunch of lies. And um, the attorney said these words. I hear what you're saying. What a powerful little phrase. I hear what you're saying. Some people just need to know that they've been hurt. Some people need to know that you're not in defense mode. I failed this all the time. You're just acknowledging what you hear them. So he said, I hear what you're saying. Now that you're saying, I want this week, I want you to practice that with your wife, husband, kids, associations. Anytime something 
you know, just, you don't have to be in a conflict. You can actually just listen to someone by looking at them and saying, I hear what you're saying. I think uh, in that uh, movie, the Avatar, they said, I see you. I've never seen that movie. I was, it was told to me years ago. It's a wonderful movie. You should all see it. So you guys are preconditioned to this. I hear what you're saying. It's kind of the same thing, right? All right, here's the second one. And it again, from the same lawyer, which, by the way, one of the things. And actually, the guy got greedy. He went for more, didn't settle out of court, went to court. Because he didn't deserve to get what he got paid. When there's a contrary spirit coming against you, you want to move in the spirit of Christ and say, how do I do this? How do I actually make that, that thing of carrying the backpack and all of that? How do I make that work? Um, another phrase is, you could be wrong. Now, I just, wouldn't you just love to see a political debate where one candidate has been asked a question and then he turns it around and deflects it to another candidate and that wouldn't it wouldn't it be great to see that other candidate to say you know what you could be right now let me tell you what is brilliant about that statement it doesn't mean they are there's only two possibilities you could be right could be wrong. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. I'm just going to hold out the possibility that you could possibly be right. Now listen, the way that the media has portrayed what we're going through, name an issue, name an issue in the whole last year, the last two years, the last three years. If you name any issue, I can tell you that it is polarized by this party spirit and there, it is, has now become a life and death issue. Everything. Net neutrality. A life and death issue. Well, some, for some people, it is a life and death issue. But, but what I'm saying is that you might be moving in a spirit of fear if you think it's actually a life and death issue. It isn't, though. There's a lot of things that are not life and death. So because we've been preconditioned for every decision and everything going on being a life or death issue, if you want to move in the spirit of Christ, recognize that not everything really is life and death issues. In fact, the spirit of the world is completely out of phase with God. Completely, totally. The spirit of the world. So the spirit that is coming at you could be right, could be wrong, but what if you just change the environment by saying, you could be right. And from there, you segue into what you want to say anyway. I have to quit. Uh, we're out of time. But I, I just want to share this, that in the last um, 30 years, um, well, in 2022 will be 30 years of pastoral ministry for me. And in those 30 years, I've got to sit on many, many boards.
Jesus. And, and we've been invited to and, and understood that he brings uh, glory to them. Um, I'm not saying this is true of Sun Power Ministry, but through those years, I've counted uh, in my mind just recently, there's been eight different ministry boards that I've sat on that I can think of. There's probably eight, but some more than that. But in those eight ministry boards that I've sat on, I can't tell you the number of times that I have been invited to come and, and uh, mediate a conflict between people. Uh, it could be inside the board, it could be outside the board, it could be conflicts with other ministries, whatever. And, and let me just tell you that every time I am invited into that situation, I go armed with these two thoughts. Number one, Holy Spirit, I need you desperately to give me wisdom in this moment. The second thing is there are some questions or some phrases that I can make to diffuse and change the atmosphere. can't tell you how many times I've walked in and you could feel palate in the room, the, the, the tension in the atmosphere, walk in within a few short minutes of listening to the Holy Spirit and responding by using either I hear what you're saying or you could be right, all of a sudden the, the spirit that was in the room just left. That's what happened. He'll do the same thing for you. I'm not the hero. But I learned from the hero. Won't you stand up with me? Because I've learned something else and that's from Jesus, more importantly, is that is that Jesus is the author of all truth, no matter where it's found. God is the author of all truth, no matter where it's found. And I don't know about you, but I think that this world is moving in a particular spirit right now that uh, has everybody walking on eggshells. And people are literally afraid um, of me right now because they don't know what I might say because I don't really politically care. I mean, I don't really have a dog in the fight because um, all of my hope is in Jesus. So when I walk into an environment with no dog in the fight, I don't, you know, have anything to lose. So when I when I do that, I'm free to move in a spirit that is opposite. And now I'm going to tell you, I fail miserably. I've, you know, recently, you know, fail miserably oftentimes. But it, when it when I do, it's because my human spirit has risen up. Well, you know, human spirit against human spirit is just going to keep on going, you know. But, but I'm more concerned. There is a, there's at least two very powerful spirits at work in our world today, and they can't be defeated by a human spirit. But believe it or not, the same mystery of why the angels, like, listen hear the church sing about the blood of the lamb and the beauty of the cross and the glory of the resurrection. They're so intrigued by the human's confession and testimony of who Jesus is. They know firsthand what Jesus really is and what he's really like. Absolutely better than us. And they stand in amazement that God would trust, that God would trust Entrust his teaching, his doctrine, his church into the hands of men. Because the angels know how fallen we are. But you and I are learning 
how glorious Jesus is. All my hope is built on this. It's nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I appeal to him. Now, I really believe that his spirit released in this world will change the spirit of the world. But I'm sure of this, that my spirit released in the world isn't changing a thing. My argument is not changing a thing. My anger is not changing a thing. The anger of man does not accomplish the, the, the righteousness of God. I know that my thoughts and my recollections, I know they're not moving men's hearts. I know they're not changing anything. But I'm certain of this, that Jesus Christ inside of me, Jesus Christ inside of you, wants to move into the world in a spirit that is opposite from the cold wind that's blowing through right now. The cold wind that is blowing through the earth today will be stopped. That contrary wind will be stopped by the wind of the Holy Spirit that is released from you and from me. Would you just raise your hands and give glory to Jesus. Give honor to him. Hallelujah. We're not ignoring the world. We're not ignoring headlines. We're not ignoring anything. We're just fixated by something greater, something more powerful, something more relevant, something more eternal. We are glued to Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Hallelujah. Lord, we want you to come physically on the earth. Yes, that's our cry. But Lord, I'm asking that you would come by your Holy Spirit and live in the church and begin to move the church to move in a direction that is opposite than the world. I pray, Father, for Jesus' sake, God, release the church with a wind of change.